a scripture reading from Acts 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them, to, bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Eli. Eli's also running our slides this morning, pulling double duty, because I was on the calendar to run slides. Uh, but I, I could give you a demonstration of my speed, uh, both speaking and advancing slides. In fact, Eli, if you want to take a break, I think that'd be fun. So, um, Matt is, uh, was feeling a little bit under the weather yesterday um, and just staying away as a matter of uh, caution and care for the community. Um, so he sends his greeting uh, when he informed me yesterday, or when I learned uh, that he was feeling under the weather, I considered for a brief moment uh, simply reading from his manuscript uh, for this morning's sermon, but I didn't know if that would begin with, uh, when Annette and I were first married, <laughs> so I didn't, uh, I guess I opted not to go that direction <laughs> to avoid some potential confusion. So, uh, all of that to say, uh, you and I might be making some discoveries together in the moment <laughs> this morning about uh, what's in store. So our scripture reading from Acts chapter 9, we'll deal with that maybe in a little bit more depth next week when Matt delivers his message on Acts chapter 9. Uh, this morning, I I'd like to kind of set the stage for that a little bit by looking further back in Acts. I want to begin this morning where we uh, left off or, or with something that we touched on last week, which was this icon of Jesus reaching for Peter as he, uh, this is a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Um, he is standing on the shore. The disciples see him as they're out in their boat fishing, which by the way, you know, after Jesus is raised from the dead, they finally get out of that locked room that they had been in for several days. Isn't it interesting that they say to themselves, or, or that Peter says to the others, well, I'm going fishing. He's returning to what he knows best, uh, returning to um, that life that, that Jesus called him from. And here he goes right back to the, to the fishing, but I think there's something instructive there for us as we consider um, the life of faith, it's so easy to return to a place of, of comfort, sometimes a place of comfort that, that Christ has called us out from. I don't think Peter loses this part of his identity, but Jesus certainly transforms it 
in his call to make the disciples fishers of men. I think it's also instructive that, as we mentioned last week, this episode occurs as kind of a a reversal of uh, Peter's three times denying Jesus prior to his crucifixion. You all recall that story. And here on the shore, um, Peter um, strips off his clothes, hops into the lake, and swims to Jesus. And here we see uh, the image of what actually isn't recorded in Scripture. This actually, uh, the author, John, doesn't tell us that this happens, but Jesus pulling Peter up out of the water. And we considered this image last week as kind of the, the visual representation of what Jesus does for Peter in this episode. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? This three times restoring the relationship, restoring this rift that was caused by Peter's denial. Another thing that's interesting about this episode, and by the way, this is our gospel text for today, John 21, this, uh, this scene, is that Jesus does this around a fire. So in John chapter 18, when we see the first of Peter's denials, the woman said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. And then jump ahead to John chapter 21, we get this little detail, again from the gospel writer, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there. Isn't that interesting? Jesus kind of recreating the scene, even down to the sights and the smell and the setting and this is how Jesus offers reconciliation. Of all of the things that Jesus could have done when he was raised, his post-resurrection appearance to the disciples, this just as easily could have been Jesus' re- revenge to her. <laughs> could have sought out Pilate, right? He could have sought out, think of all the people he could have gone to, but instead, he chooses to go and mend this rift that Peter is feeling. Recall from last week that The gospel writer even gives us the detail that that Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt. Jesus is restoring that hurt. Where there's injury, he's offering pardon. So this theme that I'd like to kind of explore today is we prepare for for next week and looking a little bit more at this text from Acts chapter 9, which is the conversion of Saul, is this idea that God is at work to restore and redeem all of creation, including you and I, whether we're actively resisting or actively participating in that work. Whether we're actively resisting or actively participating. Whether we're denying, uh, whether we're walking away, whether we're returning to a fishing boat, whether we're returning to a place of, of comfort instead of engaging in the mission that Christ has called us to, God is still at work to restore and redeem creation. So, uh, our scripture reading this morning, as we just read, thanks to Eli, recounts the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. So let's, let's back up a little bit, if you'll indulge me for a few moments here, as I figure out what it is that I hastily scribbled down last night. I want to back up in this narrative in Acts, as Luke presents it, 
to Acts chapter 1. We'll kind of work our way forward to Acts 9. In verse 3, we'll pick it up of Acts 1. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. We're still in the season of Easter. I think this is appropriate. Jesus presenting himself by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things regarding the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he said, or he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Continuing in verse 6. So when they had come together, they began asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, It is not for you to know the periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. So, give a Pentecostal no preparation time, and this is the text that I gravitate to immediately. Acts 1.8. This is the foretelling of the descent of the Spirit. So we've got kind of three characteristics. The, the where of the descent of the Spirit, this Spirit-charged kind of pushing out of the apostles on mission. There's the, the where and the who and the how that we'll examine here. So first is, is the where. And the where is, again in, in verse 8, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. To these specific places. This is the where of the descent of the Spirit. The who we find jumping ahead to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, who is going to carry out this work? So after the Spirit descends, there's speaking in other tongues, and Peter stands up, standing with the eleven. We read in verse 14, he raised his voice and declared to them, this gathered crowd of people asking, what in the world is happening here? He says, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem know this and pay attention to my words, for these people are not drunk as you assume, since this is only the third hour of the day. But this is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel. So he's saying, this is that which was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will have dreams, And even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So the where is Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, beginning in Jerusalem. The who we discover here is all flesh, men and women, your sons and your daughters. They will prophesy. So the where, Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. The who, all flesh, men and women both. Third is the how, the how, and we pick this up in Acts chapter 2, again, a little bit later on in this description of the the early church and their activity. So how does this take place? In Acts chapter 2, pick it up in verse 43, Luke's account here of the, the early church, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And the believers were together and had all things in common, and they would sell their property and possessions and share them with all to the extent that anyone had need. 
day by day, continuing with one, with one mind in the temple and breaking bread. And here it is, from house to house. From house to house. This is the how. Together. With one mind, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I'd like to hold these kind of three characteristics in mind, this where and the, the who and the how. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. All flesh, men, women, sons, daughters, and the how, this house-to-house reality. And with these three things in mind, I'd like to return here to our scripture reading and look at this um, conversion of Saul. In fact, before we get there, where we're first introduced to Saul in the narrative is in Acts chapter 8, immediately following the time when Stephen is stoned, when he's martyred. And the line that we get about Saul is that he was there and that he approved of the stoning of Stephen. That's quite the introduction, huh? You can think of maybe some memorable first lines in literature when a character that you love or admire or identify with is first introduced in the narrative. How about this one for Saul? Saul was there at the stoning of Stephen, and he felt great about it. Isn't that something? Yikes. Saul approved of putting Stephen to death. That day, continuing Acts chapter 8, right after we're introduced to Saul, that day a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Anybody have sirens going off in their mind here? Think about the where. They're scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. How is it that the descent of the Spirit that pushes us out on mission is accomplished through persecution, through this, I mean, madman. This persecution that breaks out following Stephen's stoning is actually accomplishing what Jesus says would happen in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Isn't that wild? I don't think that's by accident. I think Luke knew what he was doing, and by extension, of course, I think the Spirit knew what he was doing when this persecution broke out. Again, keep in mind our kind of guiding idea this morning that God is at work whether we're actively resisting or actively participating in his work. God is at work. Devout men buried Stephen, Acts 8-2 here, and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house. Again, give a moment for the the sirens to go off here. (laughs) Dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. So the descent of the Spirit, which pushes these early followers of the way out on mission happens because there's persecution. And it drives these followers of Jesus to the exact places that Jesus said the Spirit would would drive them to. And how is it accomplished? (laughs) 
entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went through places preaching the word. So Acts chapter 2, verse 18, again, even on my male and female servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So back to our scripture reading, just briefly here. In verse 1, meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and I can't help but hear the resonance here of the the breath of the Spirit, the wind of the Spirit, and Saul's own breathing of threats and murder, the kind of dissonance that exists there. But again, I can't help but think that's in some way intentional. And after this kind of divine encounter where, where Saul is, is uh, as it were, knocked off of his high horse and sent toppling to the ground and is blinded. We read in verse 6, Jesus' words to Saul, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. <clears throat> and I love the, the kind of um, tension that this creates. Uh, you could maybe hear Saul if he had the wherewithal, which he probably doesn't at this point, having just been blinded, responding and saying, okay, but how am I supposed to get there? <laughs> you've, you've just taken away my sight. Uh, I, I can't. Which, of course, I think is, again, intentional. There are those who are present with Saul who hear the voice, Luke tells us, but they don't see what Saul sees. They must also obey the command that Jesus gives to Saul to get up and enter the city because Saul has practically speaking here I'm not not making a deep theological point here Saul can't see where he's going <laughs> he needs people to lead him he needs people around him those who have also heard the voice to lead him into the city to obey the command of Jesus that Saul has heard as he's there sitting on the ground blind. He needs people to recall our image from the, the gospel text to, to reach in to the water, to, to pull him up and to lead him by the hand into the city. He needs a community of people around him to help him to obey the command that Jesus has given to him. I'm probably stressing that point a little bit too much, but I just, I can't, I can't help it. So, here's a depiction of Saul being led by the hand. And again, scripture gives us so many kind of rich visual details, but we're reading a text after all, and I, uh, I, I, I love the, the way that icons can sometimes kind of open up uh, the, the words of scripture that I would be tempted to maybe overlook. Uh, of course, he's led by the hand. Well, what does that look like? It, it looks maybe something like this. This is from a, a 14th century fresco from a monastery in Serbia. This is, can't give myself photo credit for this. I, I don't, in fact, I don't know who to give photo credit to here. But given all that we've looked at today, 
I can't get over what a rich, meaningful picture this is of the work of God in the world. I mean, there's, there's such irony here. It's comical. Everything that Jesus says at his ascension and everything that the Spirit sets in motion at his descent, the spread of the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the presence of both men and women, this house-to-house reality among the followers of the risen Christ, this is all taking place prior to Saul's conversion. All of that happens prior to Saul's conversion. Now, certainly there's so much that happens The work of the Spirit is present after Saul's conversion and the ways that he uh, will travel from place to place as a missionary and equip the saints and and do all of the work that he does. But I think it's so important to to not miss what happens in these intervening chapters between Acts 1 and Acts 9. God is already doing this work. And Saul is not only not participating, I mean, he is... if you, I mean, he is the epitome of active resistance to this work. And that means that God can't do what he said he was going to do. No, no, no. That means that God is going to continue to do what God does, whether Saul is resisting or actively participating. I think there's such hope here for each of us. Thinking about the ways that we've made all sorts of mistakes, Uh, maybe they're not as severe potentially as rejoicing in the death of a, a martyr. But think about the ways that we intentionally or unintentionally actively resist the work of God in the world and and it's still still happening, still being carried out. And we have this picture of Saul being led by the hand by some nameless character in our scriptures who is obeying the voice of the Lord and by Ananias who sees, hears of this man Saul in a dream and who isn't too scared to approach him and to lay hands on him and to minister to him, to continue leading him by the hand as it were even though his reputation precedes him as a destroyer of the church, a a, a violent man. So, given that all of this work is already going on through God's Spirit, whether we're actively resisting or actively participating in it, the challenge for us becomes, how will we partake of this reality? Will it look like responding to this kind of propulsion of the Spirit, this who reality. Will we go to other people and places? I think that's one possible implication. To partake in this reality is to go to other people and places. Many of us in this room have responded to that call, crossing international borders, um, giving ourselves in our vocation to the work of the spread of the gospel. Secondly, uh, we might partake of this reality by affirming the call of God upon all flesh. Men and women alike, especially where it's least expected, 
Thirdly, I think we might partake of this reality by living out this description of the first century followers of Christ by breaking bread house to house. This is a description of the spread of the gospel. This is a description of a healthy Christian community. And how will you and I partake of that? I think there's a house-to-house reality that exists here. And revisiting our gospel text, again, at the risk of kind of pushing too hard on this, are we willing to, to build the charcoal fire and to revisit the places where we've been most deeply hurt alongside those who have most deeply hurt us that we might experience reconciliation and to follow after Jesus in that way to seek not revenge not a revenge tour but a a reconciliation tour as it were to be attentive to those places that God might show up are we willing to build those charcoal fires and are we willing to listen as those who were around Saul did to lead even those who are most dangerous by the hand are we willing to lead them into houses even the houses where we're breaking bread together with glad and generous hearts are we willing to lead them into houses where except for the transforming power of God they would potentially have broken in by force I want to end this morning as we prepare to approach the table with a prayer that we pray each Wednesday at our prayer service. Um, Warren, if I could enlist your help here in the serving of of communion, thanks. All sorts of things I don't think about when Matt's gone. But would you join me in this prayer? It'll appear on the screen. We'll pray it together. I think it's especially appropriate for today and as we look ahead to next week, looking with a little bit more depth at Acts chapter 9. Let's pray together. O God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.